There's just so much more to hear. Download our podcasts at DubaiEye1038.com. Your weekend home for all things sport. This is The Grill on Dubai Eye 103.8. Live from Barasti. Here's Tom Urquhart. Here is Tom Urquhart and what has been an extraordinary day of sport. We're live from Barasti where the game is always on. Yep, do not change your dial because, yeah, times have changed. A new chapter, a new era, if you like, for The Grill. Live from Barasti where the game is always on. Still the same old venue but we've taken up a different time slot. Ordinarily, we'd on, be on between four and seven at this time of the evening, but now we're on between six and nine. Why? Because the Premier League action coming your way. Six games to look forward to in the Premier League uh, from, six, from seven o'clock this evening. We'll have all the goals for you throughout the course of the evening. You're listening to Dubai I 103.8. This is The Grill. What have we got coming up for you? Well, South Africa uh, uh, were good. Uh, England were not so good. But South Africa are the Rugby World Champions. All the reaction in a few moments' time. Manchester United are currently le- uh, currently um, trailing uh, to Bournemouth down on the south coast. Uh, pr- uh, horrific conditions down there on the south coast. But we'll have all the latest for you in the, in- in the early kickoff in the Premier League. Six games from 7 o'clock this evening. And then Watford against Chelsea is your late kickoff. 9.30 in the evening now. After the clocks changed, the times changed in the UK last weekend. Three games in Scotland, Barcelona at 7pm is the first of three games in Spanish La Liga. Action from the German Bundesliga, the Teller and Serie A and French League are whilst we're on air. Plus, all the latest from the US Grand Prix qualifications uh, ahead of pole a little later on. T20 World Cup qualifiers ongoing here in the UAE. Uh, return to the Gallagher Premiership and the Guinness Pro 14 Paris Martyrs tennis is into the semi-final stage. Plus, the WGC HSBC in China, third round coming to a conclusion. It's week nine in the NFL, the latest on Steph Curry's injury in the world of NBA. Alvarez against Kovalev in the WBO World Light Hate uh, Heavyweight uh, title division a little later on, and UFC. 244 to say we've got a work, our work cut out this evening is something of an understatement as always if you are around and about if you are anywhere near us come on down to Barasti you might be able to hear it is absolutely rammed down here great atmosphere at Barasti this evening if you're keen to watch the evening action the evening sport then make your way down here to Barasti where the game is always on this is the grill join the conversation text 4001 or message us for free on the Dubai I app. Okay, only one place to start, that's you. Uh, so please do send your text through to us on 4001. You can have your say online at Dubai I 1038FM at Dubai iSport. Uh, we will be joined very shortly by uh, Mr. Chris McCarty, who's coming in to the venue as we speak at the moment. The reason uh, he's coming into the venue is because it's absolutely rammed down here. It's absolutely rammed. An absolute pleasure to have alongside me Mr. Alex Brune, who. Uh, emotional, Alex? I'm just still in shock, really. I, I mean, the game finished, what, two and a half, three hours ago, and I still can't believe it. I mean, it's the most stunning thing I've ever seen. I picked, and I'm happy to announce it, I picked England by 18 before the game started, and I didn't give England a shot. Chris McCarty, who's just sitting down next to me now, picked them England by 12, and I thought he was conservative there. So I'm just absolutely stunned. It's one of the most stunning results I've ever seen in a sporting field, and I didn't pick it at all. Please do get your thoughts into us. South Africa are the Rugby World Cup champions. That's going to be our talker for the first hour for sure. Plus, of course, all the latest from the world of sport worldwide. It's the South African fans singing Swing Low alongside us. Chris McCarty, good evening and welcome to you. Thank Uh, you very much, Tom. Has that one sunk in yet? It hasn't, and I don't think it will for a a number of days yet. Sorry, I am late. I should point out it is carnage down here. It's carnage getting in to Barasti, but it was, just to echo what Alex has said, it was an astounding game of rugby. If last week, let's be frank, if last week was good, and it was very good, for England today, almost better for South Africa. It wasn't pretty at times, but you know what? They did exactly what we thought they would. They turned it into an arm wrestle. England, I felt, and give all the credit in the world to South Africa, I did feel England were the nervous of the two teams. One or two handling errors early doors. There was a kick to touch from George Ford that didn't make it, and those just built. I felt that the scoreboard pressure built. South Africa deserve all the credit for that. I felt, though, in that first 15, 20 minutes, more than three or four errors 
from an England standpoint. I thought they started the nervier of the two teams, and as I'm taking nothing away from South Africa, yeah. it was a performance from start to finish that was excellent, and they are deserved World Cup champions. They are the world champions. They are here in numbers as well. You can hear them behind us at the moment. Alex Brune and Chris McCarty alongside me, Tom Erka, with you for this grill. New times between six and nine live down here at Parasti. I think we might have made the right decision, boys. <laughs> I have never seen as many South Africans in all of my life. You live down there, Alex. I appreciate for a while. There are more Safas in here today than I've seen in all my life, I think. Well, listen, they're very, very happy. I was Where I was watching it, the bar was full of South Africans and uh, it was uh, some very, very stunned Englishmen sitting alongside them. But if you just want to go back through the first five minutes, it's Courtney Laws had the worst five minutes of rugby yeah. I've ever seen in the history of the world. And it just, England just, I mean, I, they didn't turn up. I mean, all their big match players, and these are guys who played in European Cup finals. These are people who have played against the All Blacks in New Zealand in the Lions. They've been in a Lions series. It was like they were playing an under-16 quarterfinal. I just couldn't believe it. England just completely lost it. And, Austra and South Africa were composed. They knew what they were doing. They executed their plans. I mean, South Africa, let's let's be frank, they were dreadful against Wales. They were lucky to get through to the semi-final. All they did was box kicks every day that went straight up and they couldn't catch any of them. They caught every single one this time. They ran the ball early, but it was just madness. In the first three minutes, England ran the ball from their own in goal line. Yeah. They ran the ball behind their posts in the first three minutes. It was just crazy rugby, and it just never got it never got any saner for Some very, very strange decisions from England in that first half, and they were never really in the game. Uh, listen, great atmosphere down here, great atmosphere across the UA, great atmosphere across the world. Two very well-supported teams, uh, and something uh, of an FMB manager's dream come true <laughs> on a day like this. Uh, that's all one thing, though. What was the atmosphere like over in Japan at the final in that stadium? One man who can tell us exactly that is Mr. Mark Archer, who joins us live on the line now from Japan. Arch, has it sunk in yet? Oh, evening, gentlemen. Evening from Tokyo, where the sky is green. Yes, if it's carnage in Brasti, it's absolute chaos in Yokohama <laughs> and all the way up to uh, Tokyo, where South Africa have won the 2019 Rugby World Cup. 32 points to 12. Uh, a turn-up for the ages. Most people... Couldn't see South Africa winning this game, but they won it and they won it convincingly. They broke English hearts. It was power rugby at its very best. And England had no answers when they needed to come up with some today. In terms of the reaction to that game, uh, obviously a lot of South Africans out and about at the moment. Fair to say there were more English fans in the stadium for the final? Oh, by far. Well, look, we know when England travel in any sport, whether it be cricket, rugby or football, the fans come around the world. I knew a lot of people, English fans, that flew in last night. They flew in today. They were searching for tickets, as do the South Africans who do travel to watch their rugby team wherever they're playing. And it was, it was two well-supported teams. I'd say the Englishmen were probably the, the, big, the more fans in the stadium, but people are just flocked to the streets. And uh, uh, an amazing occasion, but, yeah, didn't South Africa turn up today? And uh, I think, looking back, England maybe played their final last Saturday against the All Blacks. That's a phrase that's been used a lot, Arch, over the course of the last few days. England playing their final already. Interesting stat that you just sent through to me, though. Uh, teams to knock out the ABs before their final. France in 99. Did they win the World Cup? No. Australia in 03. Did they go on and win the World Cup? No. France in 2007. Again, it's a big red no. England in 2019. Uh, no side has won the World Cup in the professional era after knocking the All Blacks out. Discuss. No, you, you're correct, Tom, and England now have lost, I think, three off the top of my head, three World Cup finals, and they'll be desperately disappointed. Massive performance by them last week to knock over the All Blacks. You've got to say the Springboks stuttered their way to a, to a hard-fought victory against Wales. No one really gave Springboks a chance. I said sort of almost tongue-in-cheek that if it's a close match with 10 minutes to go, I quite fancy the Springboks to, to get the victory, but uh, it was a convincing victory. 20 points uh, in the end, and it was the second biggest winning margin by uh, by any team in a World Cup final. And, you know, you can't deny them the victory. They were the better team from the start. They were the better team at the end, and they were relentless. They were power, It was power rugby. They outfought England. They outran them, and they definitely outpowered them. And, and, and England weren't, in the, weren't at the races today. It all started when uh, Kyle Sinker went off with a, yeah. with a head knock in the first uh, few yeah. minutes, and the Springbok scrum just dominated and overpowered England. And the way to beat the Springboks, you need to match them up front. You need to get parity 
around the set piece. You need to get some go forward ball to get some domination around the turnover, uh, around the breakdown. And it was all Springbok all day. They were relentless. They didn't give England a sniff. And when it came to it, they scored two really wonderful tries in the second half. And it was uh, Zia Kalosi lifting the William Webb Alice Trophy for the third South African captain to do so. And it was, a, it was an amazing occasion. The most, Arch, it's Alex Bruin here. Um, the most amazing thing from this is, and what stuns me the most, is Russi Erasmus outcoached Eddie Jones. And I never would have believed that. But the box were very settled. They were very calm. They had a game plan that they executed perfectly. It worked wonderful. England, I wonder if Eddie Jones this week got the jitters and those jitters then carried out to the English players because, I mean, they just didn't know what they were doing today, England. They were just, it's one of the worst English performances I can remember in a long, long time. So does that stun you that it was Erasmus out coaching the great Eddie Jones? Well, it does. And again, Eddie Jones was so relaxed during the week. He kind of came out in the media and said, look, we're, we've got this, guys. We just got to, almost like it's almost taking it easy. They show oh, up, they play a game somewhere maybe overconfident. They thought if they showed up, they were going to get the victory. Yet, as you know, Alex, to win test matches, big test matches, big finals are won up front. And South Africa, you know you've got a maximum in the forwards. And South Africa was so dominant their forward pack. And just to take where South Africa were two years ago, they were nowhere in world rugby. I think the all got 50 points on them in a, in a, in a uh, Tri-Nations match. And South Africa was really struggling for answers. Players were playing around the world. They weren't selecting players playing in Europe. And Rassi Erasmus, Erasmus has done an amazing job for South African rugby. The players look united. They look to have it. They've gone back to the you know, South African rugby vault. You know, smash mouth rugby. In your face, aggressive, scrum well, line out well, win the, win the breakdown, carry the ball hard. And they did that tonight. And it was just way too good for England. Eddie Jones didn't have any answers this evening. Archie, what's the kind of overriding emotion from England fans that you're talking to? Is it one of disappointment? Is it frustration? Is it anger? What's the kind of overriding emotion over there? I, I think just, you know, you tri- people, fans travel a long way to watch these matches. And I think the fans, you know, people were flocking and I had requests for tickets all week. I knew people arriving this morning. We were meeting friends who were coming into town and, yeah, just disappointed. You know, you, it's one thing to lose a semi-final. We're, we're at a weaker pain as, as New Zealand All Blacks supporters. First loss in 12 years in a rugby World Cup. But the English fans, to lose a final, it's even, it's even worse. Um, and England now have lost three. And that, as of all the finals I've been in, they've almost been favourites to win them. I mean, overwhelming favourites in this match. And yet it wasn't even close. 20 points is a massive win in a, in a Rugby World Cup final. And uh, despair, disappointment, where to go to from here. Look, this is a young English team. They've got a great coach with Eddie Jones sticks around for another couple of years. They've got young players. They'll be better for this. And they can still go from strength to strength. The performance that they showed last week against the All Blacks was a phenomenal performance. So it shows that they had them in them. But again, you've just got to give credit to South Africa. No team's ever won a World Cup having lost a match. They lost the All Blacks in that first match, the first weekend of the Rugby World Cup, and yet found a way to get better throughout the tournament. They are a tournament team. They got better and better and better and produced a dominant display, the best performance of the tournament in the final and deserving winners. There's two things, Arts, that comes out this for me. I think this, England, this result's really going to scar that English team. I mean, I just don't... As a, I don't know how the players actually get over this result. I think it's the sort of result... For many of these players, it was the biggest match of their career. You know, both the Vunapola brothers, even Owen Farrell. You think about Atoje, all those players. And to go into the biggest match of your career and just not turn up the way they did, I think it can have deep, deep psychological scars. But So I'm not sure how they're going to get back from that. Uh, for me also, I just was absolutely astonished at, at South Africa. Did you think that South Africa had that kind of performance in them? I mean, were you sitting there stunned watching the way that they were playing? It's almost like they, I, I wrote in my notes, did South Africa deliberately play poorly against Wales to give England overconfidence? Because, I mean, they're a completely different team this week. Yeah, look, it's, it's tough to break it down. It's so fresh, it's so raw, the victory. And I guess all the, all the journalists such as yourself, Alex, trying to look through and see what actually went wrong with the English performance, what went well with South Africa. You know, we, you've got to remember, for me, I was watching the first half, and for all the dominance South Africa had, they started really well. Obviously, the Sinclair injury didn't help the, settle the, the English pack with the front row problems they were having. And I think back to the first match against the All Blacks, where South Africa were really good for the first 25 minutes of that match, and it didn't show for much on the scoreboard. And the same happened tonight. After all the, all the dominance in the first 20, 30 minutes in this match, South Africa only had a three-point lead. It was either 6-3 or 3-0. It was nothing really to show. And I thought, I was just waiting for England to burst back into life, to get a couple of half chances, to find some space, try something different. 
but South Africa never were relentless. They never let them back into the match. And what, what happened against the All Blacks match in that first weekend is a couple of half chances, the All Blacks exploited them like they do, like probably no other team in World Rugby, and the game was almost done. South Africa were chasing the game. To beat South Africa, get ahead on the scoreboard. Make them go away from their set piece. Make them go away from the, the box ticking game. And then you've got a chance. But they got a fast start. They got dominance. In England, it was England that's the team that couldn't play catch-up football. They were too far behind the scoreboard, always chasing the game. That, that created more pressure, more errors. And the English players, what stood out for me today, Alex? The lack of leadership on the field. You know, yeah, young team, absolutely. young captain and Owen Farrell. Who were the leaders? Who was the guys that could say, look, guys, we need to calm this down. We need to speed the game up. We need to go away from set-piece game. We need to do something differently. England didn't have leaders on the field. And that, they'll be, I think they'll be, you talk about disappointments and scarring. Well, maybe they'll be better off. From, from learning from this mistake and won't, won't make the same mistake next time around. Mark Archer, quick question for you. Uh, in terms of just looking at the way I did it as well, I think all of you are speaking volumes of sense at the moment, but 12 points conceded from penalties conceded from a dominant South African scrum. That was one of the telling uh, stats for me in the first half. 12 points from the boot of Andre Pollard conceded because... England scrum got crunched. So, if England scrum got crunched, that surely is bad coaching because Eddie Jones and his team must have known that that was going to be one of the main things for South Africa. Yeah, I mean, no, 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 no coach can plan for their for their for their prop to go off after three minutes, and um, that that upset it. Um, Dan Coles had to come on. He wasn't a guy that was ever built to play, you know, 60, 70 minutes of football. He was due to come on the last 15 minutes and be a closer for Eddie Jones. And that really, because they lost that scrum dominance, South, Africa's, South Africa were happy to go to set piece. England keep making errors, whether it be knock-ons or forward passes. And then what did is it soaked the clock up. They could either uh, win the scrum penalty, kick for goals, which Pollard was in good form tonight, or they kick the touch and they dominate territory. And England were always playing from behind, always trying to get over the game line. They were struggling it. And even the line-out was disrupted, and, and, and South Africa had their joy at line-out stage. So it just, you know, you can say bad coaching, bad luck. You know, that's rugby. Adapt, be on the field. Who adapted better today? You know, South Africa did, and England were, were left uh, with lots of, lots of more, you know, questions rather than answers. With the scrum going so badly, wouldn't you have thought that they would get Joe Marler on there earlier? Because, uh, I mean, they left Joe Marler to the last 20 minutes, and when he came on, the first scrum turned it around. So with them being absolutely devastated, obviously Jones just had to, in his mind, he couldn't get Marco Vernapola off. He left him on. But, you know, I just would have thought Jones would have made a smarter move than that. But also, too, I mean, some of the crazy stuff, I don't think if you remember, if you think back to the first three minutes, I was mentioning this before, Arch, they ran the ball in their own in-goal line. I mean, I've, I, in a World Cup final... Owen Farrell was in a line-out uh, in the first uh, 10 yeah, minutes. It was just... Like I mean, what, was, was Jones overthinking it? Did he give South Africa too much respect? Did he build them up too much in the, in the young England players' minds and they thought they were out to go, going out to play Superman? I mean, it was just... The, it was a really psychological battle which the Springboks won. No, you did, right. And look, England looked a bit, um, say, shell-shocked after the start by the South Africans. Again, maybe they thought by beating the All Blacks last week, they'd done the hard work, they all had to do is show up today and, and, and win the final. And, uh, yeah, uncharacteristic things. In the day, it's, it's a test match. It's a big, big match, the final. What do you do? You've got to, especially when you play South Africa, match them in the forwards. Match them in the forwards. Make them do something different. And England really failed to do that today. And whether it's an oversight by Eddie Jones and his coaching team, whether they just took it to relax that they were going to get parity in, in, in the scrums, win their line-outs, like they did against the All Blacks. Um, it just didn't happen today for them in the game. They would play catch-up rugby. They weren't good enough to adapt on the day. Lack of leadership, lack of coaching, really. You've got to, you've got to say that's the answer. But again, you, could, you can't take credit away from the South, Afri- yeah. South Africans who really, after losing that first match this weekend, you, you give them the credit. Two fantastic tries as well. I mean, it was amazing that, that, that both tries were fantastic. Hint of a forward pass in the first try. And then one of the players that sort of interesting, Kobe, just stepped his way over the line there but um, again amazing to see Pia Colosi take the trophy you look at um, France Lapina what they did yeah. in 95 look at what John Smith did in 2007 three finals three wins and uh, just a fantastic moment for South African sports so I mean again it's easy to knock down England with what they do but let's give some credit to South Africa they were magnificent on the night and they, they won it comfortably 
I couldn't agree more. Uh, good on you, Arch. Very well put indeed. Listen, I'll let you get back to your pizza uh, because it's uh, well deserved. What's next for you? You've been over there for 15 weeks now. Uh, what's next? <laughs> Mate, I've been here a week and I'm, I'm on a plane back to uh, Dubai tomorrow night and then I get on the plane uh, back to Saudi Arabia. But uh, it's been a wonderful week here. Can't, can't say more about the, uh, the, the hosting of this event by Japan, a wonderful move by World Rugby to, to bring the event here. And again, if you've never been to a Rugby World Cup and you're a sporting fan, book your tickets now for France 2023. Fix the Thomas, fix the Alex there. Even Chris McCarty might get invited now, um, along after not, not showing up on this one. And it's uh, looking forward to France 23 already, making plans. Thank you very much for that, Archie. I will be there in four years, I can promise you that. <laughs> Absolutely. Safe journey back to Dubai. Of course, you're then onwards to Saudi Arabia. We thank you for joining us, not only today, last week as well. And it's not coming back to New Zealand, it's not coming to England, so which means for this Scot, I'm quite happy about I it. <laughs> I, I did dig deep into my Scottish heritage a little earlier on, about a couple of hours ago, that's for sure. Uh, Archie, enjoy it. Enjoy the pizza. Enjoy the journey back. Safe one. And we'll see you back here uh, at the Grill live from Barasti very, very soon. Our thanks yeah. to Mark Archer live over there in Japan. Just another stat, boys, that, that kind of dawned on me. Uh, and it's an incredible one. That's now three finals for South Africa, three successes. They're 100% in the finals. They've yet to concede a try in three finals. Again, yeah, absolutely right against New, New Zealand, Zealand, England 12. and England. They haven't conceded a try. They conceded six points mm. in 2007, 12 today from the boot of mm. Owen Farrell. They are yet to concede a try in World Cup finals. That is astonishing. And of course, England, their record in World Cup finals is 25%. That's not, that's not Played 4-1-1. Yeah. Let's, let's not go there. Uh, <laughs> you're listening to The Grill Broadcasting live from Barasta, where the game is always on full-time in the early, early, early kick-off in the Premier League. Chris McCarty, I will give you the opportunity uh, to tell us exactly what happened down there on the south coast. Yeah, thanks for that, Tom. Yeah, it's full-time at the Vitality Stadium. It is finished. Bournemouth 1, Manchester United 0. It is a first defeat in four. And first defeat in five, in actual fact. It's three wins and a draw from their last four for Manchester United. It wasn't good today. Josh King, it was a former United trainee with a winning goal just in the stroke of half-time. Terribly defended from Manchester United's perspective. The ball comes in from the right-hand side. Joshua King, he's got time to chest it. He's got time to pirouette. He's got time to slam it in to an empty net. Manchester United, they huffed and puffed in that second half. Take nothing away from Bournemouth. If you're South African and if you happen to support Bournemouth, Today's your best day <laughs> of your life. Well done to you. I've got to say for Chris, uh, his man United were very, very unlucky. They had a lot of chances there at the end. I think it was Jesse Lingard came on and hit the post. Mason they Greenwood. Yeah, Mason Greenwood. They really looked like that they would get an equaliser then and somehow Bournemouth just held on. But so much of in these big games when it's so close, it's just that little bit of luck and it looked like Bournemouth had it today. Another away Woe for Manchester United, a big win that for Bournemouth, as big as a win they'll get this season. And Manchester United, having taken a couple of steps forward, they now take a couple back. Six games kicking off in round about 40 minutes' time. We'll have all the team news for you next. Unbelievable goal! This is The Grill, live from Barasti, where the game is always on. At New Times for the Grill, we're broadcasting live from 6 and through till 9. Why? Because we want to do the 7 o'clocks now. Uh, we don't have live match commentary, so we thought we'd do it ourselves. Uh, well, not actually commentary, but we'll let you know when the goals go in. Talking of goals, we can bring you the first result of the day from the English Premier League. And not great news for Manchester United. Certainly not. They looked to be sort of hitting a bit of form, didn't they, Manchester they United, in recent times? But uh, let's come back to... Yeah, they, they were the better team for the first half hour or so in this one. Half chances, Tom. Final ball lacking. It has been lacking. Let's be frank. It's been lacking for the majority of this season thus far. Manchester United dominant in possession. And yet, it's one piece of poor defending. I look at Juan Bissaka. I look at Victor Lindelof. We're seeing a replay of it now. The ball comes in. Joshua King's got time to chest it eight yards from goal. Victor Lindelof, as opposed to doing the thing that you're taught as a young boy, go to the ball, go to where the danger is. He tries to set and guess Josh King. He thinks that Josh King's going to lay it off to the player at the edge of the box. He takes a couple of steps that allows Josh King to pirouette. It allows him to spin away from Juan Bissaka and then on the volley, he just puts it through the legs of David De Gea. That was the goal that saw Bournemouth lead at 
half-time. Manchester United in that second half, they huffed, they puffed. They did basically what they've done all season long. They had a lot of possession. Final ball lacking once again. We saw Mason Greenwood. He hit the post with a wonderful effort close on in, in that final stages into the final five minutes or so. It wasn't enough. Lack of clear-cut chances. We saw Scott McTominay have a shot from the edge of the area. We saw Fred have a shot from the ed edge of the area. None of it good enough. It wasn't clear-cut. Manchester United fall to another defeat and make no mistake about it as well. If Manchester United are to get Champions League football next season, it will not come through the league. They will have to go on and win the Europa League. I am fully of the belief of that. And having watched that today, the 93 minutes or so, nothing would change my mind of that. Manchester United, they have they puffed. They've come away with nothing from the South Coast. It is a big three points for Bournemouth. Get down to the Championship in a moment. But Bruno, you were watching this game as well. In fact, uh, when we were talking just before the game, you were saying that this wouldn't have made for a comfortable viewing for a certain Chris McCarty as well. Man, you just sort of flattered to deceive today. Well, it was. I mean, they're a young team, Manchester United, aren't they? One of the youngest teams in the Premier League. And it looks like at the moment they're sort of building a team for the future. But this was a very, very open game. And there looked like there would be more goals in it. I'm very surprised the second half there wasn't yeah. any goals because United looked like they'd score. But also Bournemouth had a couple of good chances. So, listen, I don't. I mean, it's a disappointing result. It's going to really hurt Manchester United fans today because they've had some really good results. They had the good, they had the good match against Liverpool, which seemed to turn the corner for Manchester United. But today is a bit of a step back and that 1-0 result at Bournemouth really got a hurt especially when you're starting to climb up the table. Let's go over to the championship where full-time whistle has just gone there was a lengthy period of stoppage time at the end of the game or added time on but full-time whistle has gone in the early kickoff Wigan against Swansea had it finished Chris McCarty. I can tell you it finished Wigan Athletic 1 Swansea City 2 and Swansea for a couple of hours at the very least are top of the championship what a job that uh, Sam Cooper has done Steve Cooper, sorry, has done since taking charge from Graham Potter, the former England under-17 coach, former England under-20 coach. He's taken charge at the Liberty Stadium and he has overseen a little bit of a turn of fortunes that were good under Graham Potter last season. They weren't this good, however, and I can tell you they have won it by two goals to one and it's a man who's currently on loan from Bournemouth who got the late winner. Sam Surridge it was with an injury time winner to down Wigan Athletic. Swansea took the lead early on through Nathan Dyer. They led for a long time. Kiefer Moore then leveled things up from the penalty spot before the break. Late on, Swansea have stolen the three points. They moved top of the table on 28 points, albeit for a couple of hours. That's one point clear of West Bromwich Albion in second on 27. Then come Preston Leeds, Bristol City on 25. A big result that for Steve Cooper. Swansea, top of the table for a few hours at least. Let's get out of Spain if we can, where we've had one result from uh, La Liga today, big result as well, sees Valencia getting the points away uh, at Espanyol. Espanyol opening up the proceedings with a, a penalty from Roca after 31. Uh, but uh, that one half goal, uh, that first half goal uh, was replied by two second half goals from, from Valencia. Uh, one penalty from Pareo on 69 again. Gomez winning the points for Valencia on eight, uh, on 80 minutes so it's three a uh, two one uh, final score down in uh, Spain in the early kickoff there a great result for Valencia great result Maxi Gomez as well the Uruguayan spent big money on the young striker did Valencia in the summer from Celta Vigo he has taken a little bit of time to warm to his new environment and his new surroundings at the Mestalla that's a big goal from him that's a big three points for Valencia and they will be happy with their weekend's work thus far later this evening Levante they take on Barcelona that's that one kicking off in half an hour's time and then the late kickoff, two late kickoffs, Sevilla 9.30, Sevilla against Atletico Madrid and the late, late kickoff, you've got to stay up well past your bedtime, midnight for this one, Santiago Bernabeu is the venue, it is Real Madrid going up against a Real Betis. Valencia up to 8th after that result, uh, Levante staying in 12th position uh, in the table, Barcelona still uh, unbeaten in the league at the moment, uh, uh, sorry, uh, they are beaten, uh, but uh, last five uh, unbeaten in the last five, they are on top of the league uh, with 22 points just behind Real Madrid. There's an early kickoff over in Italy for you as well, early in the Italian Serie A, Roma 
taking on Napoli over there. Let's get an update. 20 minutes, 28 minutes on the clock, Chris McCartney. Yeah, I can tell you Roma lead Napoli by a goal to nil, and it's this young midfielder who was linked heavily with Tottenham Hotspur in the summer. Nicolo Zaniolo is the scorer. He is a fine talent. He actually was brought in as part of a player exchange deal, would you believe, with Inter Milan last season, a summer ago, and Inter Milan deemed him surplus to requirements. He's found a new club in Roma. He's found the support of the management, and he's kicked on. He is one of Italy's bright young things is Nicolo Zaniola. He has opened the scoring. It is 1-0 Roma against a Napoli side that drew 2-2 with Atalanta last time out. The pressure not building on Carlo Ancelotti. He was sent off against Atalanta. He's a frustrated figure, yeah. is Carlo Ancelotti. I think he expected more from this Napoli side. He expected to go toe-to-toe -to -toe with Juventus. That hasn't transpired as of yet. And as things stand, Napoli heading to defeat, which would leave them sixth. Eight points behind Juventus at that's, the top of the that's table. That's remarkable because Napoli in Europe are absolutely outstanding. Yeah. Absolutely, I mean they're one of the best in Europe at the moment, and, and they really towered Europe, uh, Liverpool up when they went over there. So it's a really surprising result. Great result for Roma. Uh, let's take a short break. When we come back, uh, we'll give you some team news, shall we? Ahead of our seven o'clock kickoffs in the Premier League, there's action all over for you today. Uh, we've got live action right here in the UAE with the T20 World Cup qualifiers. We'll have the latest from that. Uh, action from Spain, from Germany, from Italy, from French League, uh, uh, the Championship, Scotland, and of course England. This is the Grill live from Brest, where the game is always on. This is The Grill, live from Barasti, where the game is always on. Uh, we have changed our timing, six till nine. Why? Uh, well, we thought that we'd bring you up to date with all the goals as they go in in the, uh, well, it was six o'clock last week. It's now seven o'clock kickoffs in the Premier League. Clock's going back uh, over in the UK last weekend, which means that all your Premier League, or the majority of your Premier League kickoffs will be at 7 p.m. now for the next few months. We will, of course, be across all of those. It also gives us an opportunity to cast our eye uh, over other major games over in Europe, plus the other sports news of the day. Let's talk Premier League if we can. I've got Alex Brown and Chris McCarty alongside me. Uh, we're going to give you some team news for Arsenal against Wolves. That's one of the games kicking off in just a few moments' time. Before we do that, though, let's hear from the Arsenal boss, Unai Emery. Again, we're going to play at home and with our supporter, and it's the same. The same objective at the beginning is to win. Uh, but above all, before to win, I think uh, we need to, with uh, that 90 minutes on the on the game to connect with our supporter. I think it's, it's very important to do that. I've got to ask you about Granit Xhaka. How has, how has he been this week? Um, he's signing with uh, a normality with, with, with the team. He didn't play on, uh, on Liverpool and, and he's, uh, for me is uh, continuing above all focusing the match tomorrow. I think uh, Unai can be Sometimes people can forget that footballers are human beings. How much is it about now, I suppose, protecting uh, Granit Xhaka, looking after him to make sure that he is OK? And yes, the first is uh, the person and uh, the human, like uh, everyone, uh, feel and... Shaka's issues uh, last week is one issue, need time to recover the normality in him and for us. <coughs> Are you surprised now that how explosive the abuse is that footballers have to deal with on social media, from fans, in the stadiums? Abuse that's not just directed at them, but at their families as well. <laughs> Everybody, maybe we have uh, some some uh, social media in in our in our phone in uh, in our internet in our web but uh, really uh, to use uh, it i think uh, is uh, is only being intelligent and also we can we can respect the people in social media but also we 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 have to to separate how much is reality Unai Emery there talking ahead of the game. Let's talk Granit Xhaka before we talk team news as well. Let's get the thoughts of our two grill panellists today, Chris McCarty and Alex Brood. Uh, Chris, can you do us a favour for those that aren't up to speed with the Unai, uh, with the uh, Granit Xhaka story? What happened? 
was taken off just after the hour mark last weekend, a 2-2 draw with Crystal Palace. He was taken off as his number went up. Loud cheers from the Arsenal fans went up around the stadium. Some were booing, booing his withdrawal in the sense that booing him, not booing Unai Emery yeah. in the decision. Some cheered, ironic cheers when his number went up and he threw his hands in the air. He put his hands to his ears as if to say, lap it up, keep it coming. And then he told, and I'll paraphrase here because I want a job tomorrow, he essentially told the Arsenal fans to do one with some industrial language thrown in. He took off his shirt, he walked straight down the tunnel. I've got to say, I have some, I genuinely mean this, I've got some sympathy for Granit Xhaka. He has since come out, Unai Emery, and an awful lot of Arsenal supporters calling for him to make an immediate apology. He waited, he's come out, he said, listen, I do apologise to those fans that were and this is crucial here, that we're offended by it. I'm not apologising to everyone because of some of the stuff that my family has had to go through. He's had death threats. I'm not going to repeat some of the things. He's had some horrible, deplorable things directed at his wife, his baby girl. Just stuff that, in this day and age, social media, unfortunately, is a vehicle for these idiots to get on it and sprout this nonsense. And I do have some sympathy for him. Will he be sacked? Unai Emery was very quick to kind of sidestep that question. I think more chat and more conversations will be had with Granite, with the club over the course of the coming days. Maybe, maybe it will be. That will be the decision that Arsenal Football Club will take moving forward. But uh, I do have some sympathy for him because I've said this time and time again, I actually think footballers are saints. The level of abuse that they receive it is astounding. We've all been to football matches. What they do, their level of restraint, I, I can't quite believe in it's taken to 2019 for a player actually to tell his own fans to do one because some of the stuff that is directed at football players is nothing short of scandalous. Yeah, I, I'm going I'm to disagree with you slightly, Chris. I think he's got to be stronger here. Uh, I mean, the guy's probably on £200,000 a week. You know, he's on a very, very good salary. He also chooses to be on social media. He chooses to use that as an engagement for his sponsors, for his profile, etc. He doesn't have to be on social media. And I think he's got to handle a little bit of better than this. I mean, I always think back in these instances to Raheem Sterling. When Raheem Sterling left Liverpool, the, the level of abuse was an embarrassment for Liverpool fans. It was an embarrassment for everybody. It was absolutely appalling, the things that he said about him. But he was incredibly strong, and he, he held on to it. He was really strong. He backed himself up, and now he's turned himself into one of the best players in the world at Manchester City. So, yeah, I can understand it's tough to get this kind of abuse, especially from your own fans, and especially when it touches your family. But as the captain of Arsenal, he's got to handle it better. Do send your thoughts through on this one. as I mean, let's just continue that, because it is a great talking point, I think. I mean, one of the sort of arguments I've heard... And again, it's, it can be picked to pieces, I'm sure, is, oh, come on, they put themselves up on that pedestal, they get paid a huge amount of money for doing what they were, what they do. Uh, what, 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 you know, fans are allowed to air their opinions. OK, I'm well, saying nothing with regards to the social media thing. I think the social media thing is difficult. But at the same time, you know, he's no different from a journalist. He's no yeah, different from, well, from, it, from anyone else that puts it, himself exactly on that. Media. And I put it back to you, Tom. It's irrelevant what he earns. It doesn't matter what you earn, what Alex earns. If you've got someone shouting and screaming at you obscenities, telling you that you're doing a awful job every single day, some people will bite. And, and Alex is right, well done Raheem Sterling for having more restraint. But equally, I can totally understand why Granite's had enough. Because what gives, and people will say, well, hold on a second, they're paying their hard-earned cash. They're yeah. able to voice their opinions at a football player equally. A football player, freedom of speech, he can happily say back to you, you're telling me to do one? Tell you what, I'll tell you to do one. And he can walk off the field. Yes, he's the football captain, but I think we, we talk often... But the cameras we? are on him, they're not on the fans. Yes. But again, so, the, so they're faceless. So there we go, we're coming back into that about these keyboard warriors, that you can say absolutely anything and get away with it. And just because the cameras are trained on him, despite the fact he's captain, and okay, you might say, need a little restraint, I'm not in his shoes. I'm not seeing... You know, he's, he feels cl quite clearly he's been made a scapegoat of Arsenal's recent woes and problems. Granit Xhaka, as, for, for, as far as I'm told by people that know him, he's a proper professional, he's in early, there's a reason that the players chose him as captain, they like him, he's a popular figure, and there he is, doing his level best, regardless of the money that he's earning, doing his best, okay he's having a couple of bad games, or perhaps perceived to have a couple of bad games, he's doing his level best, and he's been cheered off the field. You're absolutely right, the cameras are on him, there are millions of people watching him. I think you put myself in that position, I might lash out because I'm embarrassed. I'm embarrassed that my own fans, I'm the captain of this football club and there's 50,000 fans here cheating my but withdrawal. But why are they? Why are they? 
There must be they need reason a for that. They're, they're unhappy. They're an unhappy bunch. You speak to your Matthew Fortunes of this world. But they're they can't also, direct but they're it. Also, they're also, you know, they're also good readers of the game. Anyone that buys a ticket to go to watch a football game. Not everyone's a good reader. Not everyone's a good Come one. Come on, Tom. But, the, but I'm, I'm, we're talking about the, the majority. If, if, if people are booing you as a player, You've done something, you know, you've they're, not, they're not put in a shift. They're not happy that he's captain. They're feeling they're shortchanged. Yeah, they're, they're not happy that he's captain. Majority of Arsenal fans not happy that he's their captain. Majority of Arsenal fans looking for a scapegoat. Matt Fortune in on Thursday, he's an Arsenal fan. He's worked at the Football Club. He knows it better than I do. The, the owners, the Stan Kroenkes of this world, they dip their hand into the pocket. They put their mouth uh, money where their mouth is this summer. So the fans, oh, OK, so the owners have done that. Who else can we direct? Our ire towards well, we don't want to do Abu Miyang because he's actually quite decent. Granite Xhaka, he's an easy scapegoat. Not Mr. Popular, hasn't really set the world alight since coming into that club for 34 million plus. For 34 million plus, and it, that is the mentality. Manchester United right now, it's the same as fans. You know, the fans right now are looking for a scapegoat. They're scratching around. Paul Pogba has become Jesse Lingard. You know, in the, in the same instance, Jesse Lingard would probably be, and I think he has been cheered off the football field at Old Trafford. Football fans are we're a fickle bunch. We need. To people to blame and right now Granite Xhaka is that man and as I say sitting here I have sympathy I genuinely have sympathy just like and I'm Jesse Lingard's biggest critic just like I would have Jesse Lingard tell me to do one if he was they're entitled to to voice back their own opinions I think also there's become a sort of celebration of people ranting at their team and I'm looking at you, Arsenal TV. You know, there's this celebration of fans getting on air and ranting at their team. I remember seeing an absolutely ridiculous post on Facebook, on our Instagram. It was a Chelsea fan ranting at yeah. Chelsea last year. And I remember I did a tweet at the time listing the 18 trophies Chelsea had won of the last five or six years. Yeah. And this guy was saying, Eden Hazard, get out of our club. This person, get out of our club. Reaction. Get out. And he kept saying, my club, my club. Why is it his club more than Eden Hazard's club? Yeah. So, I mean, and, and that guy's, uh, uh, and, and that's Chelsea, who've been incredibly successful yeah. over the last five or six years. So I can understand Arsenal fans getting angry, but we've got to stop celebrating these fans who rant, really. I mean, that's part of the problem, because then we are encouraging it's these players to then abuse the team. It all it's all reactionary. I mean, Xhaka hasn't handled it well, but what what is going on at Arsenal? What is going on? As we just look at the team list now, Mesut Ozil is starting today. Let's have a little you chat know, I mean, about It's just team. completely bizarre. No granite Xhaka. Obviously, uh, he drops out. What has Unai Emery chosen? Yeah, he's gone with a 4-2-3-1, I think it will be, formation this afternoon. Bernd Leno, the German, he is uh, the undisputed number one at that football club. He starts in goals. Back four of Callum Chambers, Socrates, David Luiz and Kieran Tierney. Uh, the Scottish left-back, of course, formerly of Celtic. Then the holding midfield two, as you rightly point out, Tom, no Granite Xhaka. So it is Matteo Guendouzi and Lucas Terreira. The attacking triumvirate, it will be Mesut Ozil, I think, starting from the right. Danny Ceballos in the number 10 role. And then Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang will be on the left-hand side. Alexander Lacazette will lead the line for Arsenal. And as Alex rightly points out, Mesut Ozil brought in from the cold midweek in that five-all thriller. Yeah. Yes, you heard that correct five apiece it finished Liverpool victorious on penalties he was good in that game was Ozil he was a ball of energy he was perpetual motion he always looks to get on the ball he spots the passes he's seen enough has Unai Emery to say right listen let's give you a start in front of our own fans this afternoon and I think he'll be repaid in kind I do expect Arsenal to get the three points and I think today. Emery was obviously thinking about Saturday because he took Ozil off with about 10 or 15 minutes to go there at Anfield yeah. when I think uh, Arsenal was still up by a goal or two goals it was an absolute extraordinary game for anybody who watched it try and get to a replay of that game because it really was one of the game, games of the season but uh, listen it's going to be interesting to see today how the Arsenal fans respond to their team yeah. and they've got to get behind them today against Wolves they can be a big big part of Arsenal turning it around and they have to get behind them today uh, their opponents today Wolves uh, their boss Nuno Espirito Santo has stuck with the side that started their 1-1 draw at Newcastle last time how do you expect them to line up Chris McGarry? Yeah, Rui Patricio the Portuguese number one in goals it's a back three of Leander Dendonca the Belgian Connor Cody the skipper and Roman Seis the Portuguese the two wing backs Johnny Castro on the left Matt Doherty the Republic of Ireland international on the right then your little two Portuguese pocket dynamos Joe Matinho and Ruben Neves it's a front three of Adan, uh, Adanma 
Troni, the former Middlesbrough man, Barcelona man on the right. You've got Diego Yotta on the left. And of course, there is the big Mexican, Raul Jimenez. What a signing he's been. What an introduction he's had to English football. He leads the line for Wolves. This is a Wolves side, of course, who beat Manchester City a few weeks back at the Etihad. It will be a similar, I would imagine, Absolutely. template there. They'll look to set off Arsenal. They'll concede possession and they'll keep it tight. And then they'll look to hit on the counter-attack. This one gets underway at six o'clock. Should be a belter at the Emirates. It is Arsenal against Wolves. It is indeed. Uh, and let's hear from the Wolves boss, Nuno Espirito Santo. It's been a big challenge for everybody, for the squad, uh, for us, for the club, for our fans. We are embracing the challenge. Obviously, not too long ago, Wolves were in the championship and it was very similar then. It was almost Tuesday, Wednesday, Saturday, most weeks. Does having that experience, do you think, make it a little bit easier to cope with? No, it's not easy. Not easy at all. It's very, very, very demanding, especially on the players. It's very demanding because of the time of recovering, the, the amount of games that we have, the high level that of opponents that we are facing in the Premier, in the Europa League, in the, in the Cup. So it's very demanding. Um, Having experience before helps you, but doesn't make it easier. It's always a big challenge and I think it's always going to be harder. And therefore, does it make your, your team selection, do you, do you feel you have to constantly think about that more, how you can manage the players throughout the, the course of the season? We always think about, even if we have a, um, a week to prepare, we always um, take a lot of time to prepare, time to, to get the, the best options, uh, finding the right solutions. So, always, always a big challenge, like I say. Six draws so far in the Premier League this season. Do, do you feel it's a, a real case of fine margins at the moment from turning a lot of those draws into wins? We had good performances. We had good performances. Not so good. We had ups and downs. But this is all about the competition. It is um, raising our standards and perform always on the, on the highest level that we can knowing that it's very, very difficult to sustain through the competition our performances. You said after the Newcastle game, one of the challenges was to play, as you did in the second half, mm -hmm. for the full 90 minutes. What can you do about that? Try. <laughs> is there anything practical, though? Is it just a case of if one day it will click and you think yeah, it'll happen? Say is, uh, we have to pay attention to the opponent that you have. The opponents are, are, have a lot of quality, like tomorrow. High quality on, on your opponents, so... It's not sometimes what you want to do is what the other team allows you to do and, and, and you have to defend, you have to be organised. So sustaining this level through the game is one of the things that we want to, to achieve. This is The Grill. Get involved with Dubai Eye on Facebook. Kick off in the German Bundesliga for you. Uh, five games underway as we speak. There's been a few goals. We'll bring you all the latest from those. We're also looking forward to the uh, kickoffs over in Spanish La Liga uh, and in Italian Serie A. Two more games to look forward to in Italian Serie A. It's half time down there at the moment. Roma still leading Napoli by one goal to nil. But some interesting scorelines developing over in Germany at the moment. Uh, goals going in the first 20 minutes of there. Certainly are, Tom. Let's start by Oliver Kuzin. They're taking on Munchen Gladbach aside, who under Marco Rose, what a job the former Red Bull Salzburg coach has done. Celtic heavily linked with that man in the summer. He chose Borussia Munchen Gladbach, and what a wise decision that has been because they are currently leading by a goal to nil. Oscar Vent is the man with the goal, and as if things do stay the same, Borussia Munchen Gladbach will be three points clear at the top of the Bundesliga this evening. Why is that? Well, Borussia Dortmund, they're currently nil nil with Wolfsburg. Eintracht Frankfurt going up against Bayern Munich. It does see Robert. Kovac going up against his former side, the Bayern Munich boss, I can tell you that one is still 0-0. RB Leipzig, they lead Mainz by a goal to nil. Marcel Sabatier is the man on the score sheet and Werder Bremen, they lead Freiburg by a goal to nil. It is Milo Rashica on the score sheet for Werder Bremen. Your late game this evening in the Bundesliga should be a good one. It's a Berlin derby. It is Union Berlin going up against Hertha Berlin. That one off at 9.30. So three goals in the early kickoffs were 24 minutes gone. Borussia Mönchengladbach, they lead Leverkusen by a goal to nil. RB Leipzig lead Mainz by a goal to nil. And it is Werder Bremen 1, Freiburg nil. Let's continue our build-ups to our 7 o'clock kickoffs in the Premier League. Just been speaking about Arsenal Wolves. That's uh, one of six games getting underway in around about six minutes' time. Let's talk Aston Villa-Liverpool if we can. Let's get some team news uh, on Villa-Liverpool. We've got a Liverpool fan alongside us here in the form of Mr Alex Brune. Uh, any team news jump off the sheet for you, Chris McCarty? I guess Adam Lallana 
Solana. Well, this is, yeah, this is really interesting news. Fabinho's been left out, and yeah. the reason for that is because he's on four yellow cards at the moment. And, of course, uh, Liverpool play Manchester City yes. next week, so it's too much of a risk to put Fabinho out there today. He gets a yellow card, he misses the City game, so they left him out. The talk was that Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain, who was, again, brilliant uh, in midweek against Arsenal, that he would come in, but it's actually Adam Lallana, the new rising star at Liverpool <laughs> Football Club. Adam Lallana, the man who scored the last-minute <laughs> equaliser at, at United. To the man we all love now, he's come in, and it's interesting. He'll probably play the number six role with Hend- uh, with uh, Jordan Henderson still there, and uh, Ginny Wijnaldum playing a little bit forward of him. But that's the only change for Liverpool. Uh, Dijan Lovren keeps his place. Yeah. He has now taken the spot of Joe Gomez um, as the as the backup to Joel Matip, who's going to spend a little bit of time out. And the big news for Aston Villa: there's no Jack Grealish. No, no Jack Grealish for Villa. That is a massive blow. Let us go quickly through these teams. Tom Heaton starts in goals for Villa. It's Gilbert and. Ingles, Mings and Target, the back four. John McGinn, what a revelation the Scots has been since his £2.5 million move from Hibernian back in January. Nakamba, the Zimbabwe international, he's been a real find from Belgian football as well. Douglas Luis, then comes the attacking three. Anwar El Ghazi, Wesley the Brazilian and Trezeguet the Egyptian. For Liverpool, Alisson in goals. Alexander-Arnold is the right back. Andy Robertson, left back. Virgil van Dijk, Dejan Lovren. Midfield three, Jordan Henderson, Gigi Wijnaldum and Adam Lalana, and then of course it is the front three that we've all come to know and in my case hate it is Mohamed Salah Sadio Mane and Roberto Firmino uh, you mentioned Matt Target there uh, something of um, a, 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 a shoo-in for the Aston Villa lineup uh, at the moment uh, Captain Jack Grealish missing out Target retaining his place though uh, as he has done throughout the season and of course during their campaign uh, last season in promotion up into the Premier League let's hear from Matt Target now about the first couple of weeks of life back in the Premier League yeah, it's um, important in games like that that you um, you get the win. Um, obviously, it's a cup competition that uh, we we want to try and win. Um, so the boys done a good job, and uh, yeah, so hopefully we can carry that on on Saturday. What are you like when you've got a watching brief for a game? <laughs> it's, it's not nice. You like you rather be on the pitch playing, but um, the manager picks the team, and uh, yeah, well, if you're not in it, you just support the lads. Yeah, it's keeping everyone on their toes, isn't it? You know, the competition for places, everyone when they're called upon doing a job. Yeah, we've got a, a big squad here and uh, for the cup games, like you see, the manager lo- likes to make uh, lots of changes and yeah, so it puts pressure on the boys that are starting. Yeah, Liverpool next in the uh, quarterfinals, but first of all, a tasty match against Jurgen Klopp's men at, at the weekend. It, it should be a cracking occasion. Yeah, it's going to be a great occasion. Um, these are the sort of games that you look forward to when when you get promoted from the Championship. The Man Cities, the Liverpools, the United, Chelsea, games like this you look forward to. So yeah, it's going to be a great occasion at Villa Park. And the reality is, back-to-back Saturdays, you're testing yourself against some of the best attackers, not just in England, but, but in world football. Yeah, <laughs> Yeah, when um, you play against players like this, you always like testing yourself and see where you're at as as a player, um, what you need to do to improve. And uh, yeah, games like this sure brings like the best out of you. And um, yeah, it's going to be a big challenge. They've only dropped two points all season in the Premier League, but I guess they've got to lose sometime. <laughs> yeah, Saturday would be nice. <laughs> Yeah, obviously they're a fantastic team. They're strong all over the park, which is, which is, um, which is good for them. But um, yeah, we, we're we're going to do our videos and uh, we're going to see where where we can um, exploit them and uh, cause them uh, damage. And Liverpool have actually gone behind in their last two league outings. Does that give you a little <laughs> crumb of comfort at least? Yeah, we, we know we can score goals against anyone in this league. Um, so, yeah, it's, uh, it's trying to keep the ball out the, out the net is probably the biggest problem for us at the moment. Um, I don't think we've had a clean sheet for a while, so we need to start uh, keeping more clean sheets. But um, for sure, we're creating a lot of chances in the final third. Yeah, what did you take from the game at the Etihad? I mean, you, you held them for the first half. Yeah, first half was great. Um, 
obviously frustrated then. Um, had a, f- a few like, half chances, but um, yeah, the start of the second half uh, killed us really. And then the second goal should have stood, should have like shouldn't have stood. Um, but yeah, that was a real kick in the teeth. But um, now, nah, when when you go to places like that, you you want to express yourself and uh, try and try and do the best you can. There's just so much more to hear. Download our podcast at DubaiEye1038.com.